0: Well, this morning, for our, our time together, looking at the Word of God, if you'd like to join me, you can turn to Matthew chapter 13. And this week, uh, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told. Uh, parables, if you don't know what that is, if you say, I, what's a parable? A parable was a, a form of teaching that Jesus used quite a lot. Uh, it's essentially, he, he would tell a story. He would tell a short story that, that illustrated a certain point to the people hearing the story and, and Jesus would teach his his listeners and, and by extension us things about God, things about ourselves, things about how we need to understand who God is, things about how we need to understand what it is that Jesus did for us, and how we're to understand how we're supposed to live out our faith you you may if you're not familiar with with you know the, the idea of parables you may be familiar with with the story of the prodigal son um, that that's a story that you may know or, or the story of the Good Samaritan these are parables these are stories that Jesus told that that have become so well known that people don't even know that it was Jesus who told them I was watching a, a trivia show a little while ago and and they, they said the, the question on the trivia show was was who said a house divided against itself cannot stand? And I thought, well, that's neat. Like, they, uh, that's a Jesus question. And then the person buzzed in, and they were like, Abraham Lincoln. And they were like, yes. And I was like, well, sort of. I mean, I guess he probably did say it. He didn't come up with it. But, you know, the, the stories of, of the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, they, they've become like, Cultural norm, people know that story. But this week, I want to take a look at at a parable that Jesus told. And remember how I said that that Jesus' stories were short stories? Well, boy, oh boy, is this one short. This story is told over a total of one verse in Matthew chapter 13. One verse, one story. In fact, it's a story told in a total of 35 words. Matthew chapter 13, um, if you're on your way there, or if you're there already, um, is pretty much the parable chapter. Uh, this chapter is loaded with parables. There's six parables in total. And Jesus even explains a couple of them in there as well. But as Jesus is telling us these stories at one point around verse 44, well, not around verse 44, at verse 44, he sneaks in a couple of really short ones. And we're going to look at the shortest one. So in verse 44 of Matthew chapter 13, we read this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then his or in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. So that's it. That's the whole parable. That's our text for this morning. 35 words this morning. So let's take a look at this parable. First, Jesus begins with, The kingdom of heaven is like... Now, Jesus isn't describing what heaven is going to be like. That when we get to heaven, we're going to be like men in a field who walk around and find treasure. That, that, that's not the point that he's trying to make, is that this is what heaven is going to be like. This isn't, this isn't him saying, this is what heaven is like. When you get there, this is what you're going to experience. This is what we're going to do. We're not going to dig in fields for treasure for all eternity. But what Jesus is trying to show us is is that the the kingdom of heaven is like this treasure. That, That we can relate to the kingdom of heaven the same way this man relates to this treasure. Now, it can sound a little weird, the idea of like finding treasure in a field. Um, a bit like a fantastical, you know, pirates finding buried treasure or whatever, that, that, you know, sometimes you see people out with, like, metal detectors, like, metal detecting around, and if you're like me, you think, what a weird hobby, because um, I, 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 I imagine that actually you probably can find, like, valuable stuff doing that, and if any of you do do that, that's really neat, because in my mind, I think, like, you're going to find, like, a couple of loose screws, like, it seems like a lot of effort for maybe minimal return, um, but burying stuff in the ground in the ancient world was actually a pretty common thing. Um, it was a way to, to hide money or, or other belongings in the ground. Of course, banks, as we think about them in the modern world, they, they didn't exist. Is You didn't have a place to go put your money or at least you didn't have a place where you could go put your money where you could, with any kind of like confidence and trust, believe that it would be there um, you couldn't check your bank account on your phone. Um, you couldn't do, so You know, if you were to entrust someone else with your money, you were entrusting them because it's pretty hard to, to be able to prove that you, you gave them stuff. And so, and, and then things like poverty and political turmoil made, made everyone vulnerable to having their money or valuables stolen or taken by those in power. And so because of that, it actually would have been quite common when you had a large sum of money or if you had something really valuable to take it and and go bury it in the ground because that was where you would stash it. Um, And to find valuables in the ground because the the previous owner maybe died without letting anyone know where they were or forgot where they buried them or, or just forgot entirely that they had even buried them made finding treasure not the most unique. This wasn't like Jesus telling a fantastical story. This would have been a story that people would be like, yeah, I I know like 19 people that's happened to. And Jesus uses this idea to describe the kingdom of heaven. Now, by law, the discovered treasure would belong to the owner of the land. Local laws and customs suggest so long that as the treasure remained buried, it was considered owned by the owner of the field. That if I owned the field, whatever's inside of the field would be considered mine. And if it was removed from the earth, it was the property of whoever owned the land. And In other words, the, the, the treasure couldn't just be taken or it would be theft. So the man who, who's walking through the field and discovers this treasure, he, he doesn't decide, oh, pretend to, to bend down and tie his shoe so he can grab it, or or he doesn't just try to subtly bend down, take it and then try and, and smuggle it out. Because if, if the field owners sold the land, he was selling the land and everything it contained, so he would also be selling any buried valuables so the new owner would be legally free to dig up and take the treasure. So instead of trying to steal the treasure, instead of trying to take what isn't his and acquire something he wasn't entitled to, he he goes off and he decides to take the biggest step possible. He leaves the treasure there and he goes and sells everything he has to try and raise enough funds. And and he sells enough things and he's able to buy the field in order to, to legally, rightfully attain the treasure that he wanted, that he legally goes and obtains it. Now the point of this story isn't a civics lesson. Um, It's not detailing property laws of the ancient Jewish world. And the point of this parable isn't Jesus teaching his followers how he wants them to act in the event that one day they find buried treasure. Jesus' message is that the kingdom of heaven is worth trading everything we have in order to come into possession of it. Jesus himself is that treasure. Jesus paints us this picture of people who were outliving life. That's the picture of the field. That's the picture of the man in the field. That this man in this field is outliving his life. and as he's just going about life, as he's just doing the things that he does every day, that that we do every day, as he's just out living his life, he suddenly notices something. And he stumbles upon the truth of Jesus. And when they stumble on the truth of Jesus and, and what he's done for them, he goes and he trades all of the temporary stuff of this world that he might gain the treasure of knowing Jesus. The Apostle Paul would talk about how, put into his words, his heart for this, in Philippians chapter 3, when he would say, But who, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. Paul says, The whole world that I gained, in order, as I lived out my life, the whole world that I gained, we translate the word as garbage. Um, But it's actually a word that's a lot stronger than garbage it's a word that means something a lot more almost crude than garbage that we won't talk about here but if you want to look it up you're welcome to do that but but Paul says everything that the world has to offer it's garbage compared to knowing Christ Now, there's something that that we need to make sure that we understand here. There's an important part of understanding this parable that we have to have. And and this is uh, where, you know, eventually every metaphor and every analogy begins to fall apart. That even the stories Jesus told, that as we begin to look at the pieces and parts of this story, you eventually begin to be like, well, what is that and what is that? But the parable, this parable, is not teaching us that a relationship with Jesus is something that can be or even needs to be bought. Jesus isn't teaching us that we can buy our way into heaven, that that somehow in order to gain eternity, in order to gain the kingdom of God, you need to sell everything you have and you need to give it all away or you need to give it all to the church or you need to give it all to her. And if you do that and if you're worth enough and if the selling of all of your stuff adds up to enough, then maybe you can buy your way in. Jesus isn't teaching us that. The point isn't if you do enough, you're invited in. If you have enough, give enough, be enough, you are welcome. In fact, the message of Scripture is precisely the opposite of that. The invitation of God is the opposite of that. If we listen to what God said through the prophet Isaiah a few hundred years before Jesus told the parable, we get a picture of God's heart where it says, Come, all you are thirsty... Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Come and receive the things that you need for life. But God doesn't say, but sell everything you have first, so that when you get here, you might have enough money in order to buy it. Just says, come and eat. Come and receive without cost. See, the point isn't that the man, by giving everything up, was able to earn the field and the treasure. The point is that the treasure was worth the man giving everything up in order to receive it. The point wasn't that the man had to do it. The point was the man wanted to do it. The man in this parable He looks at everything he has and he looks at the thing that he wants and says, I will give up all that I have in order to gain the thing that I want. What he would have to release his grip on the other things so he could get a hold of the treasure. There's an interesting picture of what's being talked about. Here, this idea of giving everything up in order to get something else that's found in a word that's used all throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. If you're reading in English, it's sometimes translated as or consecrate or sanctify or set apart. And it's used in many places, but the place I'll just take you to is Exodus 32, 29. And I've got a couple of different translations here where it says, Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, or in a different translation. The first one is NIV, second one is New King James. Uh, then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord. So it's that that phrase uh, set apart or consecrated that I want to just look at for a moment because it gives us a really neat picture of, of understanding what this parable is showing us and, and how to understand it. Uh, the, the phrase that we translate "consecrate" or, or "set apart" in these verses—it's it's made up of two Hebrew words: the Hebrew word "malay" and the Hebrew word "yod." So, the, the "malay yod" is the phrase in Hebrew, which may or may not carry any significance for you. Oh, that's neat, or maybe that's really neat for you—I don't know. Um, but what the phrase means is to have full hands. And the thought is, to so when it talks about consecrate your hand, or consecrate yourself, or, or set apart yourself, what, what it's talking about is, is having your hands full with the things of God. Not allowing your hands to be full of anything else except for the things of God. The idea is just that, that, that your, hands are, your hands are full of something. That, that In your life and as, in your experience, as you move through life, you, you have your hands full. You know, that's an expression that, that we use. Oh, well, my, oh, my hands are really full right now. Or, or oh, man, the, that kid, he's a handful. Or whatever it may be. That, that, oh, man, my job right now, my boss is just being a handful. Or whatever it may be. My, my hands are full. And, and the idea being that our hands are so full But we need to make sure that they're full of the right things. And if our hands are so full of other things, we're not able to receive the things that God would give to us. Our hands can be full of all kinds of things. Good things, right things, things that we see as important, things that are right and good, and maybe some things that are not so good, not so right, not so important. But if our hands are full, we, we can only, or we can't receive what God has for us. I don't know about you, but I have this tremendously bad habit of always putting my keys in the wrong pocket. That whenever I come to the, especially at the church here, when I'll be bringing a bunch of stuff to church and, and whenever I get to the door, it doesn't matter, you know, I'll have my hands full of stuff, and this hand will be free, and my keys will be in this pocket. And I don't know how I do it, because so, it'll be the other way, too, that this hand, but my, and somehow, way, the wires in my brain get crossed, and I can't get, my keys out from the wrong side. And so then I got to, my hands are too full and I got to put everything down. But I know that every one of us has, has, has had that experience where, where your hands are just too full and you, you, you can't carry everything you're carrying. And if somebody tries to give you, you don't know where to put it. And so the picture is your hands are full. But if your hands are so full of other stuff, when God shows up and says, this is what I've got for you. I, I can't, I, I, I don't, I can't carry anything more. I, I don't, I can't put any, I, my hands are full. And so if our hands are so full of just life and stuff and things we've picked up along the way, we can't receive what God has for us. And what we see in this parable is the heart of someone who when they discover Jesus They're willing to drop everything they've already been holding. That that They discover the truth of Jesus, and they look at everything they've got in their hands, and they go, I don't need it, because I want that. I want everything that Jesus has for me. All of this stuff that I've collected over the years, I don't need it. I want Jesus. And that they allow their hands to be filled with the treasure that God has for them. It's a recognition that everything we're holding on to in our lives is worth giving up for what we have in Jesus and what he has for us. Now, this is an incredible invitation to each one of us. An invitation to take all the things we're holding on to, the things of this world, and to make the most beautiful exchange for something that is infinitely more valuable than anything this world has to offer, the truth of Jesus Christ. And, and if you're here today and you haven't yet made that exchange in your life, if, if you're here this morning and you're still carrying around this thing, the things of this world and, and when you're presented with Jesus and you realize, wait, that this isn't it. This, this, isn't it. this isn't going to bring me what I need. This, I need Jesus. Don't leave today without emptying the things, or emptying your hands of the, the things that do not last, the, the things of this world, and filling them with the only thing that can really satisfy, Jesus Christ. But this also serves as a reminder for those of us who, whom, for whom it's been a, a good while since we first bought that field. For those of us who, who, for it's been a good long while since, since we said, I will give up everything in order to follow Jesus. And since then, we've emptied our hands of everything. We, we gave it all up in order to follow Jesus. But since then, maybe as we've journeyed through life, we started to pick a couple of other things back up. When you go grocery shopping at the grocery store, you have every intent on following your shopping list. I'm only going to get what I need. I'm not going to get anything else. I am only going to get the things I need. But then, something's on sale. Wow, well, what would that hurt? It's just one little, th- oh, 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 key lime pie is on sale. Well, this, that's go- that doesn't go on sale very often. I need to take the opportunity while it's presented to me because that never goes on sale. And you walk through the and and you are committed To only getting what's on your list, and then you get to the checkout, and where did all of this stuff come from? And our walk with Jesus—we are committed to following Him with everything we have in us. We are committed to whatever God wants for me. Whatever He—that's all I want. That's all. That's what my life is about. But as we journey through life, sometimes we start to pick up. A couple of other things along the way, and and we're still holding on to to what Jesus has for us, and and we still got like one good arm dedicated to all of that, but but the other arm is is free to to pick up a thing or two, and and suddenly we're we're carrying most of what Jesus had for us, the the, the, the main heart of it, the, thru, the the main part of it, the, like I'm, I, I still go to church, I, I still read my Bible. I still do all, but but life is. Getting more comp, my hands are getting fuller with other stuff. I know that I said I would give everything up to follow Jesus, but my career has become really important to me. I know I said I would give everything up to, to follow Jesus, but I don't want to be uncomfortable. That that really matters to me. I I I I know I said I would give everything up to follow Jesus. But I got some pretty cool stuff. And I don't want to just give it all up. I, I can do both. I, I can I can carry everything Jesus has for me. And and I can carry some of the some of this stuff. I can do both. God, I'm willing to give everything up to follow you. And that's true as long as you don't ask me about this stuff. If it's any of the stuff I I don't want, God, you can have all of that. But the stuff that I want, we're going to have to talk about that. Now, for most of us, this doesn't happen consciously. There's not choices that we make where we look at our lives and we consciously go, God, you are not allowed to touch this. But I want to ask you today, what maybe have you picked up that's maybe making your hands get a little bit too full with maybe not the right things? What's filling up your hands? And, and what might we need to put down in order to refill our hands with what God has for us? What are, what are some things that, that maybe the Holy Spirit would speak to you about and you would say, oh, man, yeah, I better put that down. There's one more thing I want to talk about when it comes to this parable, and that's an entirely different way of seeing the parable, and it's looking at this parable in this entirely different way that will show us why it's worth giving everything up for our relationship with Jesus Christ. So the standard understanding of this parable is exactly what we talked about. The the man in in the story is a picture of, of you and me. That, that, that's us. We, we are each that person going about life in the field of life when we discover the truth of Jesus and what he did for us. And we become so convinced and we, our eyes are open and we see Jesus and we give everything up in order to follow him. But the other way to understand this parable is to reverse who is what in this parable. Parable. The man in the field at work is Jesus. And Jesus has found his treasure. He's found you. As Jesus is at work, he looks and he sees Linda. He looks and he sees Jeremy and he sees Jeremy. and He sees Roy and he sees all of us. He sees each one of us. And when he sees his treasure, when he sees his treasure, he looks and he says, that is worth giving everything up for. And Jesus goes and he gives everything up, including his life, to secure his treasure, to secure you, to make a way for you to come back home, to make a way for you to be in relation, so that he could get what would become rightfully his. Jesus sacrifices everything. And while this isn't the most common or usual interpretation of this parable, it does illustrate for us why the usual interpretation of this parable is so important. Why we should be able to give everything up to follow Jesus is because Jesus gave everything up to invite us in. We look to Jesus as our example we look to Jesus, and, and Jesus looked at you, and he said, "I, you are worth giving everything up for. I will give up my life for you. And so we turn and we look back at Jesus and say, me too, let me give everything up to follow you. Jesus gave up everything for the sake of knowing us. The takeaway for us Is that our relationship with Jesus was worth Him sacrificing everything for? And in response to that, may we be a people willing to empty our hands of everything for the sake of knowing Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, the value that you place on each one gathered here is so incredible. It's so remarkable, it's so humbling, it's so awe-inspiring, that for each one gathered here, in all of our muck, and all of our our dirt, and and all of the things that, that make us not worth dying for, not worth living for. God, I thank you that you looked at each one of us and saw treasure of infinite value. That you looked at each life, each story, each situation, each circumstance that our life would represent. And God, you looked at each one And said, that is a treasure I would do anything to possess. And God, I thank you that for even for those of us gathered here today, that maybe there's there's a voice whispering to us right now. He's not talking about you. You're not that person. You're not worth it. You have done too much. You've gone too far. The choices you've made in your life, you're not a treasure anymore. God, I pray that you would silence that voice in this moment, in the picture that I have in my mind. Is you taking that, that one or taking those ones and placing your hands on their cheeks And looking at them eye to eye, face to face, and saying, you, my son, you, my daughter, you are worth everything to me. And God, I pray that you would seal in our hearts and in our lives who we are when you look at us. That that we wouldn't see ourselves the way that, that maybe the world sees us. That we wouldn't see ourselves the way that that other people have told us we are. That that we wouldn't look at ourselves and see ourselves as as failures or as worthless or as, as people that should have been given up on a long time ago. But God, I pray that in our hearts, even now, God, you would allow us to see ourselves the way you see us the way that you understand us, the the way that you value us, the, the perception that you have when you saw us in the dirt and you said, I have to have that one and gave up everything in order to make a way for us to come back to you. And God, I pray that in response to that, God, may... May your Holy Spirit be speaking to us. May your Holy Spirit be working in us and through us right now. May may your Spirit be showing us, God, the things that maybe we've picked up, the things that that maybe we've added to life, that that we're saying, "I, I will do everything to follow Jesus, but I also want this. God, would you be showing? what those things are and God in your infinite mercy and your infinite grace would you be working in us and through us to be able to put those things back down That, that we would be willing and able to give it all up for the sake of knowing Christ God may our hearts cry be more of you and less of me. May our heart's desire be that I long to live for you. And God, may we be a people whose hands are full, but whose hands are full of the things of God. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you and we'd love to hear from you you can find us on facebook and instagram at hillsideairdry you can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdry.ca or you can go to hillsideairdry.ca and click on contact us from the main menu or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the our church drop down menu our vision for everyone that shares in hillside church is that they would know god know his hope his purpose and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you at Hillside Church. We're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family, we go. In the
1: morning, I'll praise you through the night. And all my life I'm praising till the day I die. And it's only just began, I'll join the mighty world. In heaven's Woke up and out I came into life with a fresh new faith, a whole new star My past great You placed my feet on solid rock. You showed me love that would never stop. You put a new song in my mouth.